Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Everybody and welcome to a very stable podcast. This is your host Stephen Reed. If you'd like, give me a follow on the Twitter at Nice Reed Steve. Uh, you can also like our podcast. Uh, you can also follow the podcast um, on Apple, Spotify, any anywhere you can get your podcast. Uh, rate and review us five stars. Get that out of the way. So, what we're going to talk about today happens to be the first week of Colts training camp. So, very excited about that. You've seen a lot of good things. Uh, also, seen some questionable things uh, in terms of injuries and things like that. So, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about vaccination. So, everybody's prime topic right now. Uh, everybody really loves to talk about vaccinations, I've found. Uh, everybody's got an opinion. So, let's go ahead and get into the topics. Uh First, to start off with, Colts started training camp last week. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, you're seeing a lot of good progress. You see Jonathan Taylor still play very, very well. You see a lot of steps forward for Michael Pittman Jr. You see T.Y. still making plays. Uh, one surprise player that we've seen here in training camp is Michael Strawn. He's a rookie, uh, late-round draft pick. He's got one of those really prototypical size, speed, strength profiles that you look for in the modern day outside wide receiver. So that's super exciting for the Colts that he's starting to come on. I think he's going to make it really difficult for Chris Ballard to cut him, which is going to lead to some interesting conversations there at the back end of the roster. You're seeing Kylan Granson really make a lot of great plays so far in training camp. He's really kind of proving uh, Frank Reich being so high on him from the get-go. Now, the other thing to consider here in training camp, you know, you had Carson Wentz play very, very well those first two days. Like he, he started off a little slow on the first day, but then started picking up and really caught fire the next two days and really showed that the Colts made the right decision in trading for him. And then the injury happened, which, of course, was always the biggest concern when he was in Philadelphia it was the injury history and the fact that they just didn't know what they would get in terms of injury. So he comes out and he's apparently got a foot injury happen near the end of practice on Thursday. Came in on Friday, was questionable with it. The Colts cryptically didn't give us any information. So we have no idea really what's going on with him or anything like that. Little tidbits of info have leaked out here and there. People have said that it's a ligament thing or that there might be a bone issue. Dr. David Chow has said, he expects 
that either he could rehab it and be back potentially for week one, but he'd have very limited mobility, kind of similar to what Philip Rivers had last year near the end of the season. Um, to be fair, Philip Rivers wasn't really known for his mobility anyway, so you, you Colts are basically going to get that. The problem with Carson Wentz, though, is that he, his game relies a lot on mobility, and so that's one of those big concerns for him going forward. Now, the other option that was thrown out there was the surgery option, and that's going to put him out until probably at least week, week six of the season. So after those first five really brutal games, put him back in week six, which really is something that I jokingly had said on, on various podcasts as an option for the Colts going forward with Carson Wentz is to start him off with some fluke injury on the pup list, put him on IR a part of the season just to make it so he can't play the required snaps to where the Colts have to give up their first round pick to Philadelphia. The big thing for them is getting him healthy. You know, I said those things in jest thinking that it would be just kind of funny. And then when the schedule came out, it was one of those situations where you saw that first five games of the schedule and he said, all right, well, you can't really sit him for them because those are probably going to be your five toughest games and it's all going to be compacted right there at the front. So the Colts are probably going to either be without Carson Wentz to start the season, or he's going to be really limited. My guess is that they have surgery. And then once that happens, he's going to be out until probably week six, week eight, which honestly, with this roster that the Colts have, it's going to be fine. I think I don't think they're going to start the season 0-5, like some doomsday scenario. I think they'll still end up going 2-3. and I think they're going to get overlooked by a couple teams. And I think Jacob Eason's going to come along. So if they do have Carson Wentz sit out that, those first six to eight games of the season, that means there's no mathematically, there, there's a very limited mathematical possibility that he reaches the required threshold for 70% or 75% snaps to send that first round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. Most likely it's going to end up being that second round pick, which is great for the Colts because honestly, it you get Carson Wentz, if he comes back and is healthy, you saw those first two days of practice, the things that he can do. And if he can come back and end the season on a roll, kind of similar to to what Nick Foles did, quite honestly, when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl, is Carson Wentz played really, really well those first 11 weeks of the season, first 11, 13 weeks of the season, got injured. Nick Foles came in and got hot and led them to a Super Bowl. The Colts have a really talented team if the wide receivers develop and if the pass rush comes along. And given that you've got Quiddy Pay is is showing really, really well, and we'll talk about him here in a little bit, uh, I, I think this, this team is further along than a lot of other pundits might think. So if Carson Wentz can come back and he's able to prove and, and show that he is what he was those first couple days of training camp, which was the old Carson Wentz, the, the 2017 to 2019 version of Carson Wentz. If he can show those things, then I think the Colts are going to be in a great spot, even if he misses the first you know, five, six weeks of the season, six, eight weeks of the season, because Tennessee's probably not going to run away with this division, even though they play the Colts twice there early in the season. So I don't think Tennessee is going to run away with the division. I think the Colts are going to be in a great spot to potentially get a wild card no matter what, especially with the expanded playoffs. The Colts just need to make it, need to make it into the the playoffs, and I think that they're going to be fine. So with Carson Wentz being out, 
we all got a chance to see Jacob Eason. And he struggled to start here with his first first team reps against in the uh, first time getting first team reps and going against a first team defense. The big thing with Jacob Eason right now is he hasn't had an opportunity to play against first team anybody throughout his entire career so far. He's he's going into a second year. They didn't have training camp last year. He never got those snaps during the season. You're not going to get those snaps. And so this is all pretty new to him, throwing to the talent that he's got. Uh, I think that he's going to come along. I think you're going to see him gradually progress and get better every single day throughout this training camp because he is kind of like a rookie in this in this manner because he hasn't gotten those snaps. So I would go ahead and kind of curtail my opinion of Jacob Eason right now and give him a couple weeks to see what he does, give him some game action, which... I, he's going to be getting here in the next couple of weeks, which again, super exciting for all of us that football is coming back. Um, so I would kind of give Jacob Eason a pass for that first practice, because again, that's the first time that he's ran with the ones going up against the, the defensive ones. And yeah, he had a tough time because this defense is really good. Bobby Okariki, super, is going to be a great player this year. So I feel like you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt, at least to start if we're getting into week three, four of the preseason, going into the regular season, and Jacob Eason is still struggling in the same ways that he's doing now, then I think that's time to raise him alarm. But as of right now, I give him a little bit of a pass. One thing that has really shown out this past couple days, the first part of training camp, is the defense and how good they are. And specifically, how good Ben Banigou and Quiddy Pay have been in their, their pass rushing Crash Banigou, Ben Banigou has been phenomenal, uh, and he's it's great for him because this is the big year for him. He's got to show up this year, and it looks like him, like he and his trainer have put in the work this offseason uh, that it just shows that he's been been working out. He's really taken this seriously. Brett uh, Yaris's trainer, uh, it's one of those situations where he really needed to put out a great performance. And so far he has like every single beat writer that you see has put out something about Ben Banigou being in the backfield, Ben Banigou with the sack, um, things like that. Quiddy pay, same thing. He shouldn't have been there at 21. If you want to, to listen to my immediate reaction, go hop over to fellow CMP blue writer, Evan Sidery and his podcast with the locked on Colts back after the draft. You could hear our immediate reactions about that. Quiddy Pace should have never been there at 21. The Colts got an absolute steal with him. He is fast off the edge. He is going to be able to wreak havoc there on opposing quarterbacks. He slimmed down already. So he's already slimmed down and gotten a little bit faster. It seems like he's kept his strength, his speed. And so I'm really, really excited about what Quiddy Pay can bring to this defense. Looking at some of the other positions um, on the defense, you know, you've got Bobby Okariki is really showing out, really looking like he's going to take that next step. And so I, I'm really, really excited about what he offers. You, you see um, the the rest of the defense is still – you you expect this defense to take another leap, even right now without Darius Leonard on the field, while he's probably trying to get that contract evened out. So I'm really excited for what the Colts have offered thus far and where they're headed, the trajectory of this team going forward. 
one thing I do want to mention, and I, I mentioned it off the jump that I wanted to talk about was vaccinations. The Colts are currently still one of the lowest vaccinated teams in the NFL. And I know that people are going to kind of cringe when they, they hear us start talking about vaccinations, things like that. So I'm going to try to cover this as quickly and painlessly as possible. So just to start off in terms of the protocols for vaccinated versus unvaccinated individuals. So fully vaccinated individual individuals, um, you don't have a daily testing requirement. Masks aren't required in the facility. There's no physical distancing required and no quarantine after uh, high risk exposure. There's no travel restrictions. There's no capacity limitations in the weight room. Um, you can eat in the cafeteria with other fully vaccinated individuals. There's no restrictions on where you can go, what you can do in terms of social aspects of your life or sponsorship and marketing. Um, you can use the sauna and steam room of the team, and you may interact with vaccinated family members and friends during team travel, which is kind of huge. Now, the unvaccinated people for, for not fully vaccinated, you have to be tested every single day. Your masks are required within the facility and during travel. You must remain physically distant from others in club facility, and you must quarantine after high-risk exposures. There are travel restrictions, and the 15 player there's a 15-player limit in the weight room. Uh, players must be physically distanced, and staff can't eat in the cafeteria if they're not vaccinated. You can't go out uh, to the club, anything like that, or do any kind of sponsorship activity. You can't use the sauna or steam room, which... Makes sense because it's a respiratory virus. You cannot leave the team hotel to eat at restaurants or anything like that during team travel, which kind of really stinks. Now, the NFLPA sent this memo out that said basically the rules that the NFL put in place for these teams and everything in terms of the restrictions and the forfeiture and losing your salary is stuff that they had already approved prior and the only difference this year is the NFL's the NFL has the decision to impose additional penalties on clubs that are responsible for the outbreak and when the availability of proven vaccines so that's that's the big plus minus right now in terms of being vaccinated being unvaccinated that's why you want to get your team up to 85% vaccination, because once you do that, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. Um, so that's kind of really kind of where they're pushing. It's interesting because the Colts um, at the start of training camp had four or five players that got put on the COVID list, along with head coach Frank Reich. And you would think that having your head coach contract COVID, even though he's been vaccinated and he tested positive for it, would promote some players to say, oh, well, this does transfer to even people that are vaccinated. The thing with this is Frank Reich's an older guy, still relative, still healthy, but he has very mild symptoms. So that shows you that the vaccine is actually working because vaccination doesn't, and I've said this before on Twitter, getting vaccinated doesn't create this magical force field around you that protects you from all infections from COVID-19 and everything like that. What vaccination does is that it prevents the really bad consequences from COVID-19. So almost you, know, you no hospitalization, very uh, practically no death. You get really mild symptoms. Right now, currently in the United States, I think like 97, 98% of hospitalizations and 99% of deaths are from the unvaccinated. So they're really trying to protect the staff there. When it comes to the numbers on the active roster, when you look at the 85% number, you look at that and you say, okay, well, 85%, that's a lot. But 
if you've got seven or eight guys that are vehemently against it, and Mike Florio put out a tweet that one team had seven or eight guys that refused to get the vaccine no matter what, I wouldn't be surprised to see that being the Colts, given their status as being one of the least vaccinated teams in the league. If that's the case, you only have a 53-man roster. So you have those seven, eight guys. That means you can only have one or two other players that are unvaccinated. And that's going to put a real spot on the coaching staff and on the general manager to put players on the back end of that roster that are vaccinated because that's whether we like it or not, that's going to be one of the deciding factors. And I think the tough part is you want to respect the player's right to choose what they put in their body. But you have to understand from the NFL, they're a private business and they can require any kind of vaccination uh, on an employee if they choose, as long as it doesn't violate a protected class of individuals like their race, religion, gender, things like that. And what people have to understand is it is a privilege to play in the NFL. It's not a right. And so while I do recognize the players right to choose what they put in their body, uh, the NFL doesn't have to hire them. And so you have to weigh those two things when you do that. I think that one of the big things, one of the big problems that I have with the NFL's policy, though, is how are they going to determine if the outbreak was from an unvaccinated player versus a vaccinated player? I think that they're probably going to look at the uh, percentage of players that have been vaccinated and kind of go from there and say, all right, well, if your team is underneath this, then it was probably an unvaccinated player because the spike in infections are from the unvaccinated right now. And when it comes to the actual science behind mutations and variations, it's important to know that these variations, these mutations are happening in the unvaccinated because when you get vaccinated, it allows your body to combat this better and so you're less likely to transmit it to other people. It's less likely to have the time in your system to be able to mutate. Um, so that's really another one of the big aspects of going and getting vaccinated in this. And you hear players talk about, well, they don't know what's in it or it's not fully FDA approved, things like that. So let me talk about that real quick. When in terms of you don't know what's in it, uh, players don't know what's in Toradol. Um, and the argument with that is comes back to, oh, well, that's been FDA approved. Well, we talk about FDA approval and the emergency use authorization that is in place with COVID and the, the vaccinations for COVID. And for the most part, it's the same. The only difference really is that the production of the vaccine uh, in COVID-19 happened during phase three of the testing. It went through phase one, phase two, phase three. That goes through it with whether it's FDA approved or whether it is emergency youth authorization. Normally in a full FDA approval, what they do is they go through phase three, they get the results of that, and then they go to production. In emergency youth authorization, they make that determination based on phase one, phase two trials. Then during phase three trials, they go ahead and start production. And once it's through phase three, then they can go ahead and roll it out. So that's really the difference is, is there's not much difference between emergency youth authorization and an full FDA approval. And so if that's the thing that's holding you up, please, by all means, what, what I'd recommend uh, to everybody here that's listening and to the players is go talk to your doctors, go talk to your healthcare professionals. Do not go and look it up online on any kind of website. Talk to professionals 
about it and let them help you make your decision. Make sure you have all the facts because that's really what's the best case for you is you want to make sure that you go through the whole process. You talk to your doctor and if they think that it's a bad idea because of a pre-existing condition you might have because of health or if it's against your religion, then I totally understand that, right? I, I totally understand your decision to choose not to get the vaccine. If you go to the doctor and they recommend you get the vaccine because the benefits far outweigh the risks, then by all means, go get the vaccine. Go get vaccinated because it helps everybody. It, it helps show that you know you give that responsibility. You care about your, your fellow neighbors um, because it's not necessarily about me. It's not about you. It's about us. And so that's the really the point. That's the, the reason to go and, and get vaccinated in this. Make sure you have all the facts. Don't go through some random website. Again, go to see your healthcare professional and see if they, they recommend it. So yeah, when it comes to the vaccination, I'm hoping that the Colts get up to their 85% threshold because I think it's going to make life a whole lot easier for them in terms of the competitive balance of things. And it's going to mean you don't have to worry about them missing a game or forfeiting a game throughout the season. Uh, you would think that, again, with Frank Reich getting COVID, testing positive for COVID, that it might change the players' perception of it. I'm still in shock that Washington, given Coach Rivera is a cancer survivor, that they are not way higher on the vaccination scale than anything else. It, it That blows my mind when you have your, your head coach being uh, somebody that has autoimmune. But... For the Colts players, I think that's best if they go ahead and get vaccinated for even if it's just with the Johnson and Johnson. I, I think that that's the best case scenario for them. But like I said before, talk to your healthcare professional. That's going to be the one that helps you decide whether it's right for you or not. And that that's going to be that's going to be it for this podcast today. I'm super excited about this going forward. It's going to be short. It's going to be 15, 20, 25 minutes. It's not going to be a super long podcast. I'm going to talk about uh, just kind of little things that have happened, uh, give you my thoughts, my insight, and kind of go about it that way. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Again, this is Stephen Reed. This is a very stable podcast. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at NiceReadSteve, and that's Reed, R-E-E-D. And then follow the podcast at A Very Stable Pod. And uh, yeah, other than that, remember to rate and review us five stars. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And I uh, hope you'll continue listening. Thanks. Have a great one.